Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hallstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing good, Jody. How are you, and how is your Thanksgiving with Black Fridays and stuff? Were you a good boy and kept your credit card tucked away, or did oh, you yeah. get any new stuff? No new stuff. Not in terms of credit card spending. Good for you. Yes. I, I did the same. Yeah, I, I got a couple of freebies, but I'll get to that later in the show. But Woohoo. Uh, yeah. What's on the agenda today? Sampling other music as a basis for creating your music. And more specifically, this is sampling sound. Needless to say, we should get this off of the top. We're not attorneys. We're not legal experts. This is just our take on it. So if you're in this situation and you're concerned, get legal help. We're not it. But here are two cents on it. Exactly. Sampling has been around forever. A few decades anyway, yeah. Yeah. In the form that we're thinking about now, I'm thinking about, you know, initially the the Fairlight that came out. Not necessarily available to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) With the MPCs, the Akai MPC. What was the first sampler that you were familiar with? It was, it wasn't Akai. It was when I was in, um, we're at MI and I studied some some keyboard. Mm -hmm. And we actually had the Akai as part of the curriculum. It wasn't the MPC. It was like, what was it called? Like the the S1000 or whatever, or the REC well, I remember that one too, yeah, yeah. So we got, got to practice on that. And then I actually had a roommate that had an Ensonic, the EPS-16, I think it was called. Yep, I remember those too. That was pretty cool. And that taking the nostalgia trip here, but you actually <laughs> stored everything on uh, discs. floppy disks. Yeah, yeah, on floppy disks. That's you right. had to load in the OS, and then you had to load in the the samples and stuff. Mm-hmm. But but it was pretty cool. I I used that a, a bit. I think at some point I even um, rented one from SIR because wow. I had a bunch of sounds on it just to transfer them into. I think it was Cubase at the time. Oh, right on. So, yeah. What about you, though? What, what was your excursions into or introductions into sampling? My first introduction to the world of samplers in and of themselves is Berkeley College of Music. I had a roommate who did have an Akai MPC. He also had the Insonic as well. So he was pretty avant-garde in that regard, which was cool. I never got to play a whole lot with him. I just got to see him use them, which was educational in and of itself. Yeah. My own personal thing is, is I had use of a sampler that was a friend of Jeff Soto. I used it to sample a Harley and a door slam. And I used the Harley as a kick drum and I used the door slam as a snare on a song. And that was a rather interesting excursion into sampling. I didn't get very far beyond that for a while until I got into working specifically with DAWs. Yeah, the same thing. And I remember going back to the Ansonic there. Of course, there was very limited memory in them. Oh, very so limited. Be, it was 8-bit, if I remember. Be, yeah, I think you're, this might have been 16, but it doesn't matter. You had to really make sure that whenever you're sampling anything that you had to trim everything to make the, the smallest amount of footprint, right? But then also, of course, at this point, there was no graphical 
interface, interface to do that. Right. It was literally so you had the to sound. <laughs> yeah. So you had to listen and make sure that you got just as much as you need without cutting anything off that would really give away what, what it was that you had, right? Mm-hmm. So, but this obviously came to, at least to my perspective, to its forefront with like early hip hop and stuff from New York and things, right? Well, even LA hip hop as well. Yeah, but I think the purest would probably say that that's where it kind of started coming out of like the Bronx and stuff Oh yeah, like I don't that. doubt that. I would say that that would definitely be what they were doing in terms of sampling because they were recording what a DJ would play off of a record scratch. And that's yeah. a sample in and of itself, even though it doesn't seem like a sample, but it right. is. Yeah, obviously a lot of these kids that were starting out with this, they were budget was probably an issue, right? So it was like, yeah, I can't go to the studio and get a drummer to play something. But hey, here's uh, James Brown's funky drummer. Let's record a little bit of that, like a, a part of a break or something like that. And mm-hmm. hey, now I have a beat. And that's obviously what called came to be referred to as like a break beat, right? right? Because that's where the drums tended to be isolated. That to me is like when sampling really started to take off and it became a lot more prominent it was after that, of course, legal issues arise, right? right? For copyright and all this kind of stuff. So there was a rumor that was always going around in music circles when it came to this. And a little bit less about sampling, but more like a copyright thing. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that about the seven notes? The seven kind of note thing. thing. Yeah, you're yeah. able to use up to seven notes and get away with it as being an original work. From a writing standpoint, kind of, sort of. <laughs> depends on what you're doing from a sampling aspect of it. It doesn't matter if it's a microsecond to three and a half minutes or beyond. The moment you sample, you are sampling copyrighted work and you will get sued if you are not smart about what you're doing. And there have been so many cases of this. We're talking about early, let's say hip hop again, we'll stick in that vein because it's real prominent there, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's like Tone Loke had a hit single in Wild Thing. Exactly. And it had some like Van Halen stuff in there. Yes, right? it did. Some sample, I think it was Jamie's Crying, a mm-hmm. little thing. Well, that ended up costing them about 180 grand. Because right? <laughs> they obviously didn't clear the samples or content Van Halen. And in their defense, they probably didn't know any better and they probably didn't have legal assistance or even think about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? Chances are. Yeah. What's another example? Can you, what are some of these nightmarish examples that have happened? Well, I don't know if it's a nightmarish example, but it's certainly a collaborative example. It would be Walk This Way with Run DMC and Aerosmith. So I'm yeah. pretty sure that that drum beat was sampled, but they had permission from Aerosmith to do it. Because right. they actually appeared together in the video and everything. And then they actually got Steven Tyler to come in and sing it again. There's one of those cases where I'm, I'm sure everything was above board, obviously. Oh, yeah, of and, course, because uh, they were, were doing it together. Yeah, and it turned out to be a really good thing for Aerosmith because it kind of relaunched them again, right? It very much did. Yeah. Another one uh, that I can think of is The Verve with their song Bittersweet Symphony sampling yeah. a Rolling Stones tune without permission. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they ended up losing like all royalties to that song. Yeah. And it was, and that was their one big hit. hit. That was it. Yeah. They were done. I think they went beyond just the royalties for the band because the Rolling Stones came down like Thor's hammer 
on that band. Yeah. And uh, I, I do want to say, though, that I think relatively recently, within the last 10 years or whatever, uh -huh. the Stones sort of like reneged on that. And they said, like, oh, you know what? It's your song at this point. Just go for it. Have your royalties now. But then again, how much more money does Mick and, and Keith need, right? <laughs> Yeah, so they got that back. But other examples I'm thinking about, again, in the hip-hop world, was like this band called Two Live Crew. I remember the uh, PMRC, yeah. I think it was, that came down on oh, them too. <laughs> they, they came down pretty hard, right? But they got, you know, they got notorious for it, right? So mm -hmm. they're still people talking about them. But again, Van Halen, right, where they just sampled the riff that ain't talking about love. Yep. Without clearing it, that cost them 300000 It's costly, Obviously, if to you do don't clear thing, the it, sample, yeah, if and somebody figures it out, yeah, there's an. I have another example, and this is a friend of mine co-wrote uh -huh. a song with another hit songwriter. That song got sampled on a big song, and it's somebody that everybody knows. It's like he is a household name rapper. They didn't clear that sample. Guess who got the royalties for that song? <laughs> My friend yeah. and his co-writer, not the big Good name for rapper. Him. Yeah. Right. Kind of crazy. And it's just, if you're going to sample, go to the artist, get the fucking permission. It's yeah. literally that simple. And most yeah. artists aren't going to be rude about it. Most. Some might yeah. be. But most sure. are going to be cool about it because you're going to make them additional money for sampling something they created. Yeah. I can't remember who it was that said this. I want to say it was Brian Eno. This was when the whole similar concept here, but it was when streaming really started happening. Uh -huh. He was asked about how do you feel about, it might have been the Napster thing, where he said, well, what do you think about a lot of people downloading your stuff and listening to it? And he was like real fine with it. He was like, you know what? I'm sort of like a legacy artist, and I don't know any of my colleagues that are just upset that, wow, a lot of young people are listening to my music, you know? <laughs> so it's one of crossover there that can happen as well, right? But ask for permission. That, that's really you got to do. Yeah. And there's another thing I can think of. There is a particular drum snare that is probably one of the most sampled snares of all time. I would be willing to bet that it's an original recorded snare, and that would be off of the Black Album, Lars Ulrich. Yeah. That's the Bob Rock sound. Though. It is. Yeah. And that yeah. drum sample of his snare, been sampled before. I know it. I've heard it. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if people got permission for it, but I've heard it. Yeah. But how do you prove that as well? Like if it's just one sample, it's just like it's a drum hit, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes they're really noticeable. If you have, like I mentioned, the James Brown thing off the top there, it's obviously a groove, Right, so you can kind of hear that. Oh, it's somebody samples like Rosanna with Jeff Bacaro, right? That's a noticeable groove that most people would recognize. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with Walk This Way. That drum beat that enters yeah. that song is so recognizable. If you sample that, Aerosmith They're going to come that. knocking. Yeah, yeah, they may come knocking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are other cases here, but just with the warnings here that we're kind of bringing up, that there's something, I don't think it's gone to court yet as the type of we're recording this today. If you haven't heard it, check it out. Rick Beato did a thing on his YouTube channel about this, where there's a song from the band Toto and a song by Justin Bieber. 
Mm-hmm. Now, this is not a sampling thing, but this is a copyright thing. That's all I'll say to that. If you're curious, go check it out. It's fascinating to me. It is pretty um, wild. Right. You know, we have things like Queen of Vanilla Ice, right? right. That ended Again, up cool. not a sampling issue, but a songwriting issue where Vanilla Ice rewrote, so to speak, under pressure from Queen. But I think it was sampled, wasn't it? I thought you'd sample the bass line. Did he really sample it? I didn't yeah. know he, sam- if yeah, he sampled he just, the bass line. That's that's an open and yeah, shut case. I, think that was I big, thought he was just saying that his line was different because he added one sixteenth note to it. No, I think it's the same sample. He just triggered it one more time, you know. So, <laughs> but, but that, that's a bit of an embarrassing, you know, sort of justification for that. Right. Right. There are all of these cases. You came up with another case here before we started recording here. But what, what's that one? Kid Rock used a mashup of Werewolves of London and Sweet Home Alabama in terms of writing a song called All Summer Long. It's introed with Werewolves of London. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it's sampled. It's a re-recording. But it's it's of literally song. re-recorded the exact stuff that was played. And it is credited as being written by Warren Zevon and Leonard Skinnerd and the people that did all the writing with those two songs, along with Kid Rock and his legal name being the new lyricist over it, which uses the same melody. So it's a nice mashup and he got away with it, which is cool because he went and got permission to do it. But it's not direct sampling, it's direct re-recording with new lyrics. Right, right. Which is not quite the same thing. But be careful when you do that kind of stuff. If you sample something, just get the permission. Yeah, it's the bottom line for everything else that we're going to talk about here. Get the permission, save yourself the trouble. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that we have to consider if we're sampling something, what are we going to do to said sample? If it's a groove, if it's a drum groove that we got, Things get a little hairy to me, so because that can be very, very recognizable. Sure, right? can be. Doesn't always yeah. mean it is. Right, but if you're gonna have like an isolated drum part that you could sample cleanly, unless you're doing some of the technological things that we got today, right, where we can kind of strip everything out and get a relatively decent drum stem out of a recording, right? If you do certain things like like I mentioned like the two live crew thing when you got the riff they ain't talking about love. Uh-huh. There's no excuse for that today. Just just don't do it. It's like, it well, it's you just, can get the permission though. Don't sample yeah. it and then not get no. The of permission. course, <laughs> yeah. That's that's the implication that I'm going with here. But if you're just doing it to play devil's advocate here as well, if you're doing that, all of these issues that we're talking about, legal or financially will only be legal or financial issues if people know about it and you're actually making money. If you're just doing something and giving it to your friends or whatever, nobody's ever really hearing it, it's not really an issue. The copyright police is not going to come for you. you know? Well, they could. Chances are they won't. Right. Unless you're Don Hanley from the Eagles. He probably has a team of copyright police coming for you but um (laughs) well prince was pretty good about it too yeah if you're just doing that i I would then kind of question why you're doing it 
unless you're going like the Kid Rock route and you're just rewriting something over it, you have something else that you want to say over it. But still, to me, that personal again, but it's not really a creative use of something to me. Where do you stand on that, Jody? I mean, just using a sample for what it is. In terms of writing the song or as a part of crafting a song? It's in terms of writing a song, I get why people do it. And I've seen songwriting teachers explain, hey, if you're having a brain fart, take a song, rewrite the lyrics to it using the same melody and everything else just to get your ideas flowing. And so you're saying using end, it from like a, as, as a spark plug in that as a stepping off it. thing, right? Sure, yeah. And some people can do that, and then they can transform whatever it is that they do into something very original. Some people can't, and that's fine. It's just a matter of are you planning on doing this as an exercise for yourself, or are you going to go trying to make it a giant hit by using a hit already? Is you got P Diddy using every breath you take. And getting in with Sting <laughs> in some way, shape, or form to reuse that sample. And there's been multiple occurrences of this over the years that people, mostly in the hip-hop world, but it happens other places too, where they'll use a hit to try and write another hit over the top of it, so to speak. I'm not that kind of artist. I've never done that. That being said... Have I used an idea as a creative jumping off point? Yes, but I don't use it as a sample. I use it as my jumping off point and then I remove it from the situation. Yeah, that's a really good way of doing it. I think when using it like a spark plug and you just kind of, this is going to get the ball rolling, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I haven't done that a lot. I've only done it a handful of times. Yeah. I'm with you there, but it can be a, a good sort of like trigger when you're hearing something like, oh, man, that, that is a cool baseline or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. going to try to do something similar to that. So at this point, you're sort of like inspired by and not necessarily ripping off, I guess. Right. Right. Depending on how much you, you stray from that. I think of using loops and things in the very similar manner. Now, these days, I don't use a whole lot of loops, but I certainly used to. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's the same thing. It just kind of gets your creativity going and said loop might not be part of the end song. Right. But it, it's what, what was there that sparked the idea. So if you're doing it that way, then that's cool. You know, you're using something to just kind of get those uh, ideas going. Another way that I think some bands get away with sampling a lot is that they once they sample something, they mangle the crap out of it, yeah. right? And they get like really, really creative with it. Then it becomes a point of, let's say it was a guitar riff or whatever, Mm -hmm. but now it's time stretched and it's flipped backwards and it's, you know, God knows how many effects on it. So it's not recognizable at that initial thing anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, legally here, I don't know. Legally, if you sampled it, you need to actually get permission on it, regardless of what you do to it. That's the legality of it. I'm quite sure of that. Because sampling is sampling, regardless of what you've done to it. Is anybody going to be able to figure it out? That's an entirely different thing altogether. 
when you're mangling yeah. it beyond recognition. Yeah. And I think that sort of mindset can lead to some really creative stuff because it's just like you're just taking audio and you're kind of turning it into your own, whether that that embryo was there or not, but it's it's still making something created out of it. So I'm I'm sort of on the fence here, but I think there's some really I think really if you're gonna go that route, stuff. why would you sample something that came from somebody else's work? You could just as easily do that yourself with any sound source. Pretty well, much. there is that. There is that where you could because I mean today there's really there's certainly no shortage of of samples out there, mm -hmm. like legally cleared samples that you can get, right? Yep. Both you and I have talked about before where with sample libraries and in some cases virtual instruments, mm -hmm. they become so prominent that you start recognizing those things everywhere. Oh, <laughs> RMX. That's exactly sure, what I was thinking like about. Right. Anything from Omnisphere for a long time, all you heard on television was that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you could hear all those. Oh, that's uh, that's from the Metamorphosis mm -hmm. expansion pack, and that's loop whatever. Right. right. So things can get overused in that way as well. But still, if you're taking that sample or a loop and you're doing something more creative with it. Have you ever sampled yourself and mangled the shit out of it? Yes. Great. I ha yeah. I did that with song on an album I did where I took, actually it wasn't me, but it was my idea. It was um, the singer that I had mm -hmm. and took that, took a certain line and time stretched the crap out of it. And it ended up sounding really, really, really cool, cool. using some grain table synthesis, but that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> with all of this kind of stuff, be creative with what you use. The bottom line here from both you and I would, would echo this is that it's clear your samples. If you're not going to clear your samples, prepare to not make any money from it or even worse, losing a lot of money for it. Because again, as the case of like the two live crew, I'm not sure how successful they were, but I'm questioning if they have 300,000 to lie around, right? <laughs> Van Halen brothers, right? right? Yeah, those are just my two cents on, on sampling. About just make sure you clear your samples. Anything you want to add to that, Jody? I concur wholeheartedly with that. Always clear a sample if you're going to use it from some source that is not a sample library that has some sort of end user license. And even then, it is a very good idea to read the end user license of any sample source that is a sample pack or something to understand what you are legally allowed to do with those samples. Some allow for unlimited use of any kind, some do not. Yeah, Be aware of that and, by reading your user license. And also, wasn't there a case where certain music libraries now would not accept submissions if they contain samples that came from services like Splice or something like that because of just these murky waters yeah. of copyright and so on. Highly likely. I don't know. I don't know. If you don't know, don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> That's the answer. Yeah. If you don't know, don't do it. With that, let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? Well, this is what I alluded to at the top of the podcast 
you know, and if you're a steady listener to the podcast, you know that I'm a big fan of the Slate Digital stuff. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, they merged, well, the owners merged with SSL. So my find this week was I got the whole SSL bundle included in my subscription. Ooh. And there's some really cool stuff going on in here. And you would confirm this. I've been texting you. I was like, oh, my God, I need the SSL controllers now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because multiple there, times. I did. And uh, so I, I'm really excited for that. So my Friday find, as it were, is the uh, plug-in suite from Solid State Logic. What about you, Jody? What do you got for us? I'm going with a limited time offer that is being done right now, I think through the end of the year, might be 1230, 1231, somewhere in that range. As of the recording of this podcast in 2023, Universal Audio is giving away a Volt interface to anyone purchasing a year's subscription to their Spark plugin platform which is UA's native plugins. Now that's not their entire plugin line, but it is everything that is native is available on Spark. And you get that interface, which is really cool, which also makes use of some additional third-party plugins as well. So it's a pretty darn good deal if you do that. That's a fantastic deal for somebody who just wants to get into this, right? Oh yeah. Just starting. Now you get the interface and you get a whole bunch of plugins included. to go with yeah. it. Yes. That's awesome. And some That's really awesome. good sounding plugins at that. One of them that they just released is the Sound City Studio plugin that I mentioned last week and that is really cool too. Yeah. I want to check that out and see how that is. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this amazing podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word sampling, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, like this one today, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Safe sampling, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. Bye.